If somebody needs like a kind of workout song, that's kind of the thing to get you pumped up. And uh, you're, you're like, man, this is too early in the morning for that. Um, then come on Saturday night. Um, <laughs> when it uh, maybe fits you a little bit more. I had somebody tell me this week, and this is what the youths are saying, man, you're just a little extra today. And we're gonna be extra today. This might have been a little bit extra for you, but we're here and we're here to conquer and defeat and punch fear in the throat. Are you okay with that? We're here to not just talk about it. I'm not here to talk about fear. I'm here to talk about overcoming fear. Not here just to talk about explaining fear. We're here to expose it. We're not here to define it. We're here to defeat it. And there's a lot of you that are underneath the yoke and the slavery and the bondage of anxiety and fear and depression and we recognize it and it's real and it's a big deal and it's destroying our lives and we're fighting back. We're not just gonna take it and all that's what it's like down here, you know, east of Eden and west of heaven and that's just our lot in life. We're not there. We believe God is here to offer freedom and perfect love casts out fear and he hasn't given us a spirit of fear but a power and of love and of a sound mind and we need that in this hour, in this day and age in which we live. So we're tackling fear. This is our fourth week. If you're new this week, um, I apologize for the aggression. Somebody said last week, man, it's just so aggressive lately. And I'm like, darn right, it's aggressive. We're going after things in an aggressive way. It reminds me of my sisters. We would play Nerf basketball um, in my living room. My dad'd be the ref and they'd dress up in their little cheerleading outfits and their pom-poms. And they used to sing or, or chant the song, be aggressive, B-E, aggressive, B-E, A-G-G-R-E-S-S-I-V-E, be aggressive. And I'm like, this is what I hear God cheering over me today and cheering over us. And I'm cheering it over you. We're going to be aggressive. He wants your affection, but he also wants your aggression. And one of the reasons church has been boring for men down through the ages, it's all about loving and you know, tender and mercy and grace and it's all those things and compassion, but it's also strength and power and might and aggression. And we've missed that in the church. That's what we're going after today. This isn't like a men's conference. It's a people's conference and it's about aggression because a lot of you females in here, you're strong lionesses. And I just was watching a documentary of lions and lionesses. I was under the impression that the, the male lion, the strong that had the mane was the one who did all of the defending and attacking and hunting and bringing back. The, it's all the lioness. The lion just sits around. And so I'm just telling you here, we're about the ladies being Guinevere's here, women warriors in this place. Can I get a witness, ladies? Okay. But we're coming with aggression. Like Dan Campbell said, you know, we were built for this. We were built, you were born for this. God made you, he designed you as a desire and a destiny for your life. And it's not to cower in the face of fear, it's to rise up and to face it. Not fight or flight, we're gonna face it. First week we talked about attacking life instead of living as a victim. Letting life attack us. We're going on the offense. Second week, focusing on our strength or standing in our strengths, not wallowing in our weaknesses. And last week, Ryan talked about crashing into the fray of each day. Was that not an awesome message last week? I just was like, man, I'll never forget John the Baptist and his description of things. And he busted my chops quite a bit for not actually knowing anything about horses um, with his illustrations. And uh, so he's got a performance review coming up in a couple months. And... <laughs> 
his bonus this year will be reflected on that message for sure. But man, I just, I love that. Just like, man, did you ever know it was gonna be hard, but not this hard, right? That kind of stuff. God, where are you at? You know, I'm here. Are you gonna get me out? Blessed is the one who doesn't fall away when God doesn't behave according to their expectations. I love that. I needed that in my life. Sometimes like, God, where are you? And he's like, I'm right here and you can handle it. You can go through this. I'm not gonna get you out. I'm gonna walk with you in it. And then this week we're talking about declaring the war on fear and anxiety. Looking at a passage as kind of a springboard in Job chapter 39 where God describes the spirit of the horse, its physique and its psyche. And Job 39 says this, verse 19, do you give the horse its strength or clothe its neck with a flowing mane? Do you make it leap like a locust striking terror with its proud snorting? It paws fiercely rejoicing in its strength and charges into the fray. It laughs at fear, afraid of nothing. It does not shy away from the sword. Next week I get the opportunity to speak on not shying away from the sword and I've got half that message already done, man. While I was preparing this one, God like downloaded a bunch of stuff and I can't wait to share that. But it's my privilege to talk about fear today. And those that have been around this church for any amount of time know that this has come after me and almost took me out of ministry and life itself 13 years ago. And right now I have like on my chest this like anxiety that's been there for 13 years and it gets stronger and it gets lesser, but it's always there and it's always there reminding me how frail and fragile I am and how much I need other people and God to make it through life. You could look at me and be like, man, you're doing it, man. You're killing it, man. You're successful and I'm telling you, but by the grace of God, I'd just melt into a puddle each and every week of my life. And so my dependency and my desperation for God that's come out of this fear, and I was fearless when I was young. I just was a daredevil. I would do things. I just took the hard route all the time. And man, 13 years ago, age 36, I'll never forget it. I had a panic attack. I thought I was having a heart attack. I thought I was gonna die. I lost 30 pounds. I just went crazy and almost mad in my mind. And I was like, where did this come from? So I speak not just as a person who's looking at a topic to give you tips and techniques. I have experienced and experienced this to this day. And I've just learned some tools to overcome it. As you were talking about laughing at fear, afraid of nothing. It's just a, a weird phrase. At first it sounds put on. It's hard to believe the fearless life is even feasible, that it even exists. But just for a second, I wanna imagine that it's actually possible to be dauntless, to literally face anything without fear coiling around you like a boa constrictor. To say I want that kind of spirit is the biggest understatement ever because I literally, myself, daydream about losing all my anxiety and being daring and bold in the face of fear. To laugh at the intrusion of fear's voice and to send it back to the pit of hell from whence it came to look at things that elicit terror in order to make me afraid, to stare them down and send them packing. What a life this would be. I wanna laugh at fear like the horse. That phrase from the video we watched is just ringing even in my ears now. No matter what you face, you can handle it. I can handle it. We can handle it. We need to believe that in here today. Some of us in our years of spending time fighting this. We just don't know if we can. And I'm here to tell you there's more in you than you think there is. More fight left in you. No matter what, you can handle it. 
And I don't need to tell you that our culture has become increasingly weak and infirm and afraid. You hear free phrases like this all the time. I can't handle it anymore. I, I can't deal with one more thing. I can't take no more. And then the, the famous phrase, I can't even, right? To tell someone, you can, you can handle it. You'll figure it out. You're going to be okay. You'll find a way. You're going to be all right is almost insensitive. To tell somebody they have more in them than they think they do is to be cold and unfeeling and heartless. And there's a reason for this. Anxiety is no longer an infirmity. It's quickly become an identity for many. It seems everyone is anxious and that you aren't normal if you aren't. Everybody's struggling with fear. Fear's not just common these days, it's almost cool. We went from no one talking about anxiety to everyone talking about it. We went from carrying a stigma to it to being a new fashion statement, from something you wanted to heal from to a place where many people are calling it their home for life. It's like the more you struggle with anxiety, the higher up the social ladder you climb in America. The weaker you are, the more clout you have in our culture. It almost seems like you won't fit in in this culture if you don't have some self-diagnosed mental illness. If you don't have a lot of problems, you won't have a lot of friends because most friendships these days, let's be honest, are built on commiseration, not transformation. Relating to each other, not refining each other. It's not iron sharpens iron anymore, it's noodles slapping noodles. That's what we've got. Another misapplied word in our culture is PTSD. I constantly hear the word PTSD being thrown around by people to describe their daily life. It used to be reserved almost exclusively for people coming back from combat missions in the military who experience unspeakable horrors and wars. Now it's used for almost anything that's remotely inconvenient, slightly difficult, or mildly painful. The concept of PTSD in the public imagination has grown from novelty to an accepted reality to a comic hyperbole that can be used to mean overreaction or lingering stress as in, oh, the traffic jam just gave me PTSD today. It was one of my daughters this week that heard some Hannah Montana song and she's like, oh my gosh, that song gives me PTSD. And maybe that's legitimate, but I'm saying a lot of the other stuff's not PTSD, right? Hannah Montana gives me PTSD as well. Trauma is another one of those overused and misunderstood words. Trauma is used, and it used to be used and, and only used for a serious, dead serious condition. We reserve that word for deep psychological injury, putting people in emotional shock, and some of you in this place relate. Severe wounds from egregious acts of terror committed against a true victim. Not all these fake victims that are around us now. But now microaggressions classify as traumatic and misgendering is traumatizing and disagreeing with somebody is trauma-inducing hate speech. And the list goes on and on. And the truth is if everything's traumatic, then nothing's traumatic. If everything's PTSD, then nothing's PTSD. We've lost the weight and the worth of these words. Eventually, all you have is a bunch of snowflakes triggered by everything who need to be bubble wrapped and quarantined in safe spaces. I'm sick of safe spaces in many ways because it's a dangerous world. And if it means you need a place where you can be yourself and not be criticized and not be maligned and not be looked down to, that's great. I want our church to be a safe place. But I've always said, I want our church to be a safe place to do dangerous things. 
This is what has been coined in our world as learned helplessness, which is defined as a person who stops trying to change their circumstances even when they have the ability to do so. Learned helplessness. Jesus crashed into the culture of his day of learned helplessness and the questions he asked indicate he was trying to stimulate people's weak belief systems. There was a guy who was an invalid or invalid for most of his life and when he needed healing, Jesus says this, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked, do you want to get well, which seems like a crazy question for Jesus to ask a guy who's been invalid or an invalid for a long time, but it's striking at something. I've seen you lying there in that condition for a long time. Do you actually want to get well? When you come to church every week to try to learn, do you actually want to get well? Where's the hunger? It speaks of a desire or a will or an effort that you put in. It's like, if you want to get well, I can make you well. See, if you want to get well, there's no guarantee that you'll get well, but I can guarantee 100% in this place, if you don't want to get well, you're not gonna get well. We've gotta want to get well out of this place we've been lying in with a condition for a long time. And this isn't Jesus being uncompassionate or being cold-hearted. He's going at our core and saying, do you believe that I can change you or do you think you can't change? And I believe today or I wouldn't even show up to this place that God can come in by his spirit and change your life. But you've got to say, God, I want to change and believe that you can. Heidi sent me this reel. I don't know. Do you guys send TikToks and reels to each other all the time? I can't even keep up with my family thread. My daughters are sending them all the time. But she sent this one this week. And it was, I think, this woman who's like in the state of Michigan that during the months of like December all the way through March, she can't even. And she's feeling down and low. And I love what she says as it relates to do you want to get well? Check this out. I'm just feeling really down these days, and I don't know why. Have you exercised today? No. Did you go outside? No. Did you talk to anyone? No. Did you eat well? No. Did you limit your scrolling time? No. Did you make any plans? No. Did you drink enough water? No. Did you get enough sleep? No. And Jesus says, do you want to get well? Because you can want to get well, but if you don't do anything with that want, with effort and discipline, you aren't going to get well of fear, of anxiety, of lust, of hatred, of jealousy. You've got to want and believe God can change your life. Amen? Amen? Amen. We're here saying, God, we need you. Change us. We believe you can transform. We're not here to just commiserate. We're here to change. It paws fiercely, rejoicing in its strength and charges into the fray. It laughs at fear, afraid of nothing. Laughing doesn't make fear go away, but it does take away its power. You will either laugh at fear or it will keep laughing at you. Whoever is laughing has the power. I know when I'm in a fight with my wife, I want her to fight back. I, it, that actually feels good. Fight back, talk back. Let's elevate this thing. Let's escalate noise. But I'm telling you, if she just starts chuckling or laughing at me, she's got the power. Have you ever done that? If you're fighting with your husband, just start laughing at him. Watch him melt into a puddle. The one who's laughing or... 
<laughs> Try that sometime and watch that whole thing disintegrate in front of your eyes called a man. <laughs> Laughter in this text in the Hebrew is sakak, which means to mock, taunt, or make sport of. It's not just giggling at something. It's mocking it, taunting it, or making sport of it. This is kind of like, you want a piece of me, fear? You really want to do this today? Are you talking to me? I dare you to come over here and say that. Don't mess with me. Not today, fear. That's what we're talking about here as it relates to fear. It laughs at fear. George Martin said, laughter is a poison to fear. Over the last decade of my life, I found it helpful tool and I wanted to share with you as it relates to this laughing at fear concept. And the life hack is this, I began to have a relationship with fear rather than trying to pretend it wasn't, was a lie or that it wasn't real or the, even that it would fully go away if I really trusted in God. Because I've really trusted in God and purified my heart and read scripture and quoted scripture and gone through freedom appointments and God to counseling. And I'm saying that was all helpful to fear, but it didn't just up and vanish. I've had to build a relationship with it so that it knows who's in charge. I saw it more as a person and simply a place or a thing. And as I personified fear and developed a relationship with it, I became feeling more and more power over it. One thing that I was able to do when I viewed it as a person was talk back to it. Rather than it being something I just happened to me that I had to bear up under, I considered it a voice connected to a person with a purpose meant to steal, kill, and destroy my life. I fought back by talking back. <laughs> no, you don't. Not today, fear. I see what you're doing here. I don't blame you for trying, but it ain't going to work this time. I've got your number. The gig is up. You're going down. I did that this morning. This fear's in that back room as I'm getting ready to speak and it's whispering all kinds of dark speech into my head about myself and about you and about our church and about you know everything that's going on. And I'm like, I'm lifting my eyes up to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And I have to speak to it and talk back to it. I wrote something back in 2017 upon making this discovery of personifying fear. And it was the beginning of me taking back the power, believing whoever is laughing has the power. And I decided to write this Dear John letter to fear. I call it a Dear Fear letter. This is what I wrote. Dear Fear, I've stopped asking you to leave only to become more fearful when you don't. I will no longer empower you with such wasteful and wishful thinking. I have come to terms with your presence and it's changing the way I view my relationship with you. I guess what I'm saying is I'm no longer asking God for a PPO. If the Lord has promised to prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy, then I shall feast in your face. I'm okay with you being in the room so long as you're okay watching me eat my fill of God's abundance, drinking deep of a cup that keeps running over with his extravagant goodness. Pardon me if I don't pay attention to you when you're talking. It's just that I've started listening to the voice at the head of the table where my father sits. He isn't as loud as you are, but I've learned you don't have to yell when you're telling the truth. His still small voice seems less scared and desperate than yours. I wish you would leave me alone, 
But on the other hand, your presence reminds me of my purpose. And so I guess if I can't lose you, I'll just use you. You will be my alarm clock stirring me awake to pray. Every prayer will tune me into my father's frequency. Your presence will slowly be swallowed up by his presence. Your voice eventually drowned out by his voice. After a while, I'm hoping you'll lose your voice. But at the very least, just know that your voice has lost its power. Sincerely, Jason. And this was a moment in time where I began writing to all of these things that would afflict me and hover over me and lie to me. I've done this with so many different emotions down through the years and I feel like it gets it tactile, something I can get my hands around. I'm not living in denial of fear's presence nor its power. I live in the same world as you do. Fear's coming at us from all sides. Nor does the Bible make light of fear, making fun of the people who feel it. In fact, just the opposite. Almost any leader or luminary in the Bible had to have God say to them regularly, do not be afraid as they were battling immobilizing fear. God said to Abraham, do not be afraid. And to Hagar, do not be afraid. Jacob, don't be afraid. Moses, do not be afraid. Joshua, Gideon, David, don't be afraid. Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, don't be afraid. Daniel, don't be afraid. Joseph and Mary, don't be afraid. Peter and Paul, don't be afraid. And there's a reason he had to say don't be afraid because they were afraid. God doesn't say this to people that aren't struggling with fear. He sees, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be terrified for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You've got this. You can handle it. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. You're more than a conqueror through him who loves you. I've not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of self-discipline. Do not lose heart, though outwardly you're wasting away. Inwardly you're renewed day by day for your light and momentary struggles are achieving for you an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the hardness even to the point of shedding blood. He's speaking that into us. No weapon formed against you will prosper. He believes you can do it under his authority because you have his authority. You're afraid, so are a bunch of people that you look up to as heroes of the faith. Fear was all around them just like it's all around us. It's impossible to escape its ubiquitous presence in the world in which we live. Chapman University did a fear survey that just came out of 2023 ranking America's greatest fears. Top fear, corrupt government officials. Can I get a witness? (laughs) Economic and financial collapse, Russia using nuclear weapons, the U.S. becoming involved in another world war, people I love becoming seriously ill, people I love dying, pollution of drinking water, biological warfare, cyber terrorism, not having enough money for the future. There are other notable fears that didn't make the top 10, global warming, a terrorist attack, outcome of the next presidential election. I'm just gonna say right now, I know we're in election year in our church and everybody's gonna want me to make a stance and make some sort of a statement. I'm in here, I don't trust 
in the empire of America to hold me together. I don't care if it's Democrat or Republican. My citizenship is in heaven and I have had Republican and Democrat like leaders and I see the world falling apart when they're both leading and there are policies we gotta think about and I think everybody here has a voice and everybody should vote but this church is not gonna be about the kingdom of a political party. We live with the king of kings and the Lord of lords on the throne no matter who is in charge. The media, man, they take all these things, drum it up, pile it on with panic porn, which is basically an addiction to affliction that we've developed as a culture. I heard a summation of the media that rung true to me recently, almost a definition. Public businesses legally beholding to maximize profits, trying to gain attention for their news and information outlets to increase readership and viewing figures. A common approach is to make risk sounds dramatic and threatening and as urgent as possible. The result is a 24-7 drumbeat of drama and danger contributing to what George Gerber called the mean world syndrome. The sense that we have, based on a steady supply of frightening and threatening news, a world that is a riskier place than it actually is. Fear. Their sole purpose is to make you believe what is happening to one person in one place at one time is happening to every person all over the place all the time. That's what the cameras do. And why? Because fear sells, baby. And they want to keep us afraid so they can keep controlling us. And we say no. You will not control us. We're under the lordship of Christ, not Fox News and not CNN. We are under his authority. You will not control us with your fear-mongering anymore. So whoever you are, fear is walking right beside you, wanting to capture the entirety of your energy, swallowing every bit of real estate up in your head and heart. It'll take whatever you give it. While I was walking through disabling fear in the last decade, Paul's second letter to the church of Corinth became a life raft for me. I love the whole book. It's so vulnerable and open out of all of Paul's letters. His openness with fear and anxiety gave me permission to, to feel what I was feeling and to work through my own inner demons. And I wanted to share just a couple of those passages that saved my life. 2 Corinthians 7, 5 through 6. For when we came to Macedonia, Paul said, we had no rest. We were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside fears within, but God who encourages the downcast encouraged us by the coming of Titus. No rest, difficulty sleeping, harassed, tortured by thoughts, conflicts, everyday difficulties piling up, fears, these worst case scenarios in your mind. Man, this no rest thing, this difficulty sleeping, this insomnia, man, when that gets a hold of me, my wife knows like if I'm torpedoing down, her first question to me is, have you, have you been sleeping okay? Because when I'm not sleeping okay, everything else seems so catastrophic. And, and God knew this. If you go all the way back to 1 Kings where he was talking to Elijah and Elijah was afraid and ran for his life and was under the broom tree and he cried out, I can't take anymore. Take my life. I'm no better than my forefathers wanted to commit suicide. God came in and God is the wonderful, compassionate, loving, tender father. He is, says, the journey has been too much for you. And he had him do three things. He said, why don't you sleep? Here's some food. Go back to sleep. Take a nap. 
here's some food. Let's go on a walk for about 50 miles to a mountain. Exercise, eat, and sleep. God, 2,700 years ago, nothing's changed. Man, no rest. I, I read through the Bible a few years ago and I was just kind of marking verses I hadn't really seen before. And one was Job chapter four. It spoke of insomnia and what it felt like and oftentimes can feel like for me. And this verse right here is just such a perfect description. Amid disquieting dreams in the night when deep sleep falls on people, fear and trembling seized me and made all my bones shake. That's a panic attack. A spirit glided past my face and the hair on my body stood on end and it stopped, but I could not tell what it was. A form stood before my eyes and I heard a hushed voice. Holy cow. I don't know if you've been there. And maybe I'm just the nature of leading things and everybody thinks you know what's going on and you don't and that you're in control and you don't. I don't know the future. It's just as uncertain for me and the uncertainty and the unknowns and the unknowables can vex me and I can find myself in what are called the witching hours between two and four in the morning where most people commit suicide because they know they're up when deep sleep falls on all people but not this person and you feel that and your mind won't stop and you feel spirits gliding past your face and you don't know what they are and they're standing in the room but nobody's there and it's seizing you and your bones are quaking and shaking and you hear this hushed voice of the enemy whispering like worm tongue dark speech into your head. This is a scary place to be. And anyone who's been there knows exactly what this author's talking about. But even in this place of not being able to get rest at the end, did you notice it? Chapter seven, five and six, how does God encourage the downcast? Well, he encouraged the downcast by the coming of Titus. God's antidote to fear is human encouragement. God is with you by sending Titus to be with you. It's so critical for me to come out into the light of day with actual human beings and share what I'm going through and to hear them speak into what the bewitching words are inside of my head, all those intrusive, intruding thoughts, to be with someone like a Titus who comes, it's like the presence of God encouraging me through a human being. You don't have to dwell in it alone. In fact, in the same letter, Paul gives the best description of the personal continuum of mental illness found in the canonized corpus of scripture. He speaks of the power of human encouragement and the danger of isolation when the terrors of life descend on you. I've called this passage for myself the death spiral of depression. Paul in the same book to the church of Corinth said this in chapter one, verse eight and nine. And I memorized this a while back because I'm like, this is just where I live on a regular basis and I need this scripture. He said, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we faced in the province of Asia, for we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Just, I look at this and it's like, well, this is how it happens. It starts with isolation, people being uninformed. In fact, in life groups, if you're not sharing and going to the dark places and people are uninformed about your life, you're not in a life group, you're in a death group. 
If you're not gonna get open and real, this is what Paul was saying. I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to not know what's really going on in my life. I'm not gonna let isolation take me. And then it goes to hardships. I'm experiencing difficult circumstances. But then it turns into pressure. I'm beginning to feel really overwhelmed. And then it goes to hypertension. I'm being pushed way beyond my limits. To fearfulness, I'm constantly filled with dread and anxiety. To fatalism at the end, wondering if death might be easier than life. He said, I ask my own heart, the jury of my own heart, should I live or die? And my own heart gave me the sentence of death. This is Paul. He wrote half the New Testament. This was his honest, like, discussion, an open discussion about this issue. And he ends with it happens so that I might not rely on myself, but on God who raises the dead. Relying on ourselves is traded for relying on God. Anxiety will own you until you give up the illusion of control. I've noticed my anxiety peaks and heightens when I actually believe I'm in control of the future, I'm in control of my kids' decisions, I'm in control of other people's decisions, I'm not in control. That's been an illusion all along. The more I give up control and say, God, I've never been in control, I was only under the illusion or delusion I was in control, I'm shifting my reliance from me to you because reliance leads to resilience. And if you've got a reliance on God and not yourself, you realize, God, I submit to you, I surrender to you, I trust you. I can't do it, God, but you can. You can. And even if it doesn't go according to my expectations, my life doesn't fall apart, you're in control, God. I give control to you. As I was reading through the Bible, one verse I underlined because it's really, really unique in scripture is Ezra 3.3, it said, despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar. I, I love that. Despite their fear, they built the altar. We, we've heard a phrase in you know, our culture, do it afraid. If you're, if you're waiting to do it and not be afraid, do it afraid. This is the verse, Ezra 3.3, do it afraid. Despite your fear, build the stinking altar. And I was thinking, man, Ezra is so lucky. He has a book named after him with a, you know, chapter three, verse three. If Jason had a book, it'd be Jason 3, 3. Despite his fear, Jason built the altar. Despite his fear, Jason kept dating his wife and loving her well. Despite his fear, Jason came home and engaged his children. I didn't come home and be like, dad's tired tonight. Dad's feeling under the weight of the world. Dad's really scared tonight. Dad's gonna withdraw to the bedroom and death scroll. Dad's gonna go out and we know dad's dad no, dad's afraid and he's going to play with his kids afraid. Despite his fear, Jason led the church with vision and passion. Despite his fear, Jason wouldn't stop moving forward. Despite his fear, Jason never gave up on people. Despite his fear, Jason kept taking risks for the cause of Christ. Despite his fear, Jason fought, failed, but he never quit. Despite his fear, Jason lived with joy even when life was hard. Despite his fear, Jason didn't let his heart die before he died. Ezra 3.3, despite their fear of the peoples around him, they built the altar. Did you know you can do things despite fear? Don't wait for it to go away. Do it afraid. That's how you mock it and taunt it and make sport of it. You want to? You want to? You want to cause me to be afraid? I'm going to do the thing that you're making me afraid and I'm going to do it better now that you've made me afraid. You're going down. 
I'm going to kick your butt. That's laughing at fear, afraid of nothing. I, I wrote a letter recently, like I said, as I personify these things to anxiety. And this is what I wrote to anxiety not long ago. Dear anxiety, we spent over a decade together at this point and as much as I wish you would up and vanish, I've come to realize that you might be with me for a while and you know what, I'm more and more okay with that. At first when I made your acquaintance, I didn't know what was happening to me. Your entrance into my life took me by surprise and I was paralyzed by your presence. But I have to be honest with you, I think you may have overplayed your hand with me. Every time I feel your pressure sitting heavy on my chest, I'm reminded how vital it is for me to open up and expose the darker sides of my life. As I crack open my heart and share my story with people, I see the shackles of secret suffering falling off myself and those I transparently share with. Your darkness is losing its power. The more you attack, the more I feel compelled to counterattack. The more afraid I feel, the more I'm pointed toward my purpose, dialed into my God-given destiny. You don't know what kind of beast you've unleashed. I will use my anxious affliction to lower my shoulder and push back against your nefarious and insidious strategy to cripple humanity with fear. You'll wish you never messed with me by the time I'm done with you. The louder you are, the fiercer I become. Every scare tactic is losing its grip as I brace myself to relay my personal story of accessible freedom and release others who are dwelling in darkness, feeling hopeless and alone. My prayer is that every time you turn up the heat, I will be quickened in my heart to use your threats as a reminder of my personal mission to set the captive free of any fear holding them hostage. You'll wish you never picked a fight with the likes of me, so do your worst. You've lost your authority in my life. Anxiety is not my identity. In the strength of God, I take my stand. I will use you every day to stay humble and hungry. You have no power over me. Not anymore, sucker. Sincerely, Jason Matthew Holder. I had to add my middle name on this one <laughs> with more authority. This is, this is the kind of stuff that you've got to do to laugh at fear and make sport of fear in your life and say, if you're going to make me afraid, it's going to cost you. I... Uh, texted my buddy Cody I'm going to have him come out and there's just a song fear is not my future you are God and um, Cody was sharing with me he was practicing it uh, on Saturday and his wife was crying in the kitchen um, they've just had their second child and uh, moved to Lowell not many years ago and has his own business and maybe just share just some of the the ways that fear can kind of come into your life and and how you're just kind of up under that and need this message just like everybody else. Yeah, yeah I think stepping into, um, even just moving back to Lowell, just the fear that that kind of brought to our family and in starting a business from the ground up and just making sure like, man, is this gonna be successful enough to be able to support my family and to support um, my children, to make sure that there's food on the table. I can definitely go into places where I just, fear just comes in um even just the 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 point of just like am i being a good father am i being a good husband to my wife um am i providing all those things and i work out in my garage um, we live just right down the street on hudson and i work out um i work in my garage and there's just times where i'm just like man god i just have anxiety i have i have fear going on right now there's just not enough money coming in or whatever the case might be. And I'll just grab my guitar and sing. And there's just this like overwhelming feeling of the Holy Spirit just coming and just being like, hey, I got this. I got you. You don't have to worry about it. I have your future. 
You just worry about what you can do right now. I got you in the future. Um, so that's what this song is all about. So when we sing this song, I think the lyrics are going to be up here. Just let those lyrics kind of sing over you and, and think about those things of like, what are my fears? What are my anxieties that I'm going through right now that I just have to give to the Lord because he has my future? for your good Cause he's not done with what he started He's not done until it's good So hello peace Hello joy Hello love Hello strength Hello hope It's a new
so much. Thank you for putting a future in our life that we don't have to worry about what's to come, but what we can worry about is right now, in the moment, through everything that was going in our lives, the fear, the anxiety, everything, we just cast that on you, God, the foot of the cross, and you just take it. And you love us so much, and you give us the power and the strength to push through the darkest of times, the darkest of places in our lives. And we love you for that. It's in your name, amen. We uh, have a prayer team that's up here, and I just, I know there's some people in here that are just under the weight of darkness, and uh, they want to pray for you, whatever you're going through. Uh, I had a good friend of mine yesterday that had a panic attack and had to go to the hospital, and you know, my heart just breaks for him. And maybe just doing this the last couple services, I've heard the people sharing, and some of you are in a really, really dark and desperate place, and that's what the prayer team's here for, to just bring you to the feet of Jesus so that he can love you. Jesus said, come to me, all you are weary and heavy burden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for I'm gentle and humble of heart, and you can find rest for your souls. You'd feel the love of Jesus wrap around you today. And man, the world needs this. So I commission you today to go be the light and life and love of Jesus to a world in the shackles and bondage of fear and share that light and life with them this week. Your commission, thanks for coming today.